In today's world, it's all about speed and intensity. However, revving the red line and going full throttle will eventually break down even the most committed person. Even the most dedicated routine or process needs a rest day or a deload day. These small breaks and reassessment steps can mean the difference between success and a catastrophic breakdown. When living in the fast lane, sometimes you just need to slow it down. All right, our special guest today hails from Steubenville, Ohio. She graduated and was commissioned from the U.S. Naval Academy. And while attending there, she lettered four times in women's track and field and holds the all-time record for the 400-meter dash. She was featured in Vogue magazine as one of the generation's trailblazing minority service members and was highlighted in the Proudly She Served Traveling Art Exhibit, which honors military and veteran women who exemplify courage, strength, and selfless service. She is also an actress who played a main role in the TV series, The Mayflower, and was voted Best Actress of 2020 by Black SD Magazine. She is co-founder of the Naval Academy Minorities Association and is an executive board member for Mentorch, which is a social development network for coaching and mentorship. She continues to blaze trails for service members and women alike. We are very honored to have her on the show. Please welcome Arabia. Welcome. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Good to have you on. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. It's, we're, we're honored to have you. Yeah, I no feel, kidding. I feel we need to have like Denzel Washington or um, Morgan <laughs> Freeman or someone extra special to just talk to you with just that many accomplishments you have already. Man, not at all. You guys are my fellow Marine Corps uh, brethren. So this is the least I can do. One team, one fight, right? Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. So coming from Steubenville and as a fellow Ohioan myself, um, and both of those are relatively small towns, who was the inspiring person in your life that drove you? I mean, obviously you're a driven person anyways to do all the things you've done, but Again, coming from such a small uh, area, uh, what drove you to say, I'm going to do these things throughout my life? Was there uh, your mother, father, uh, family member, friend, something that happened along those times to say, I'm going to do all these things and, you know, and, and see to it that it gets done? Gotcha. Um, MVP, great question, actually. So where did this drive derive from? And um, it, it's a funny situation where when I contemplate about this and I reflect on it and I'm going to have you guys do the same. Um, if you think about your childhood, right? Um, there's a theory, it's called McLean's theory. It's a motivational theory. And you try to determine um, what motivates you. And from childhood, either you're a high achiever or you're a low achiever. And that's derived based on how your parents or your environment has molded you to be. So I was raised in a, uh, a family, both my parents enlisted Air Force and uh, my mom, an immigrant from Jamaica, and she just uh, ingrained in me and my brothers that, you know, we were going to get out of Steubenville MVP. You know, you coming from Coshocton, coming from such a small town, you can identify with me, I'm sure, that, you know, there was more to life than our small town Ohio villages, per se. So um, I was... A major nerd growing up, I used to spend um, hours, honestly, online, just learning about real estate, learning about finances, learning about what else is there besides Steubenville, Ohio. So um, um, it was just something that I was, you know, when they say leaders were either born or made, right? Mm -hmm. It was more so that there was no other way out but knowing that I needed to get out, whether through the military or through higher education, I need to get out of Steubenville. So I was going to find a way when there was no way set in stone on how to get there. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Uh, so, so your mother is kind of the one who instilled, Hey, there's, there's more, more than this, more than what's around you. And as you know, so many of our, our uh, friends and, and stuff like that, people we grew up around family, they, didn't venture too far from home or whatever else, but, uh, 
for me, it was, uh, like you were saying, you have people who make you say that there's more. And for me, my parents, my parents were the ones that they kept me active, right? Said, Hey, they didn't let me sit around too long to get in trouble. So I was doing 4-H. I was doing sports in school. I was, I, I did, uh, I did the, um, drama club, you know, in school, some of the school plays and all that kind of stuff. That's cool. I did too. <laughs> and then, and then, and then for getting out of state or moving out of town and out of state and traveling the world, that would have been my aunt, my, my mother's younger sister, um, grew up in, uh, a even smaller area called Fallsburg, Ohio. Yeah, and you, you know where that's at? No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people don't, <laughs> but anyways, so she, she moved away. Uh, she went to Ohio state, graduated with her master's, uh, and then moved to San Francisco where she, uh, worked her way up through IBM to be one of their corporate executives and has since retired oh, this year, but she traveled, she traveled all over the world and, and she would always come back to visit at the holidays and stuff. And she would show us pictures and tell us stories of places and things she, she went to and the people she met along those lines. I said, man, that's something. And my first time out of country, actually, she took me right after high school, she took me to Europe for a few weeks. And so ever since then, man, she's been the one like, I got to get out. I got to see some stuff. I want to do some things. That's very inspirational, man. Yeah, it is. And um, that goes, like you said, I, I don't want to give all the credit to my mom, right? But I will give a lot to her because she um, she was one of those mamas that spoke life into our, spoke energy and life into our lives. So Absolutely. she would always talk about, you know, Arabia, you'll, you'll see the world one day, you know? And her being an immigrant from Jamaica, you know, she saw a lot of the East Coast. Sure. but honestly her speaking that into my life and i hold i highly recommend you guys speak that into your children's lives speak positivity um so that they have somewhere to, to think about or something to aspire to be yeah it's good instill it in them young and uh that's kind of what happened with me i kind of grew up seeing seeing people do big things and i said well i, I gotta for me i gotta do better right i gotta do more you know that's how it should go right each generation for my kids i hope that they do even greater things than I was able to accomplish that. And I think that's the goal for any, any parent really. Yeah, totally. Well, I was going to say, uh, being as your mother was from Jamaica and moved around the East coast stuff. Uh, how did you guys end up in Steubenville? We, we ended up in Steubenville. So, um, from New York, my mom enlisted in the air force and in the air force in Keesler, at Keesler air force base, she met my father okay. and my father was originally from Steubenville, Ohio. Oh, so understood. They got out um, because my dad was comfortable with Steubenville, Ohio. That's where they moved back to. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I'm sure. And back, probably the steel industry was still a little bit prominent, maybe back in those times, or you probably right at the very end of it. So it was probably easier to get a job and things like than what's there now. That's so funny you say that. So, um, yeah, as you can, as you know, from our Steubenville towns, right? It's more of a tradesman type of environment. So yep. um, my dad, his uncle worked for AT&T. At the time, it was Ohio Bell South. Yep. And my uncle had promised him a job as an electrician. So my dad would be one of those linemen going up on the, uh, on the poles and working electricity. So uh, he had a guaranteed job, and that kind of provided him that security he needed um, to move back to Ohio. Uh, my dad ended up moving up the ranks in AT&T as a child. I was able to watch him do it, but that's how it started. It, it was based on being an electrician for AT&T. Oh, interesting. That's actually, that's actually a lot of, uh, people that I know, even from our, our generation that have worked for, uh, cell companies. It seems like, uh, working the cell towers and all those kind of, um, that, that career path is pretty still to this day, I think pretty prominent in the Ohio, uh, Western Pennsylvania, West Virginia region. I, there's quite a few people that I know that, that have, have done that or are still doing that. So that's uh, pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, it is. That's pretty cool. Um, six, you had a question. Oh no. Uh, I was just gonna uh, talk about like, so you, you were in Steubenville, you got the motivation to want to get out of Steubenville by your family, by your mother what drove you to seek out the Naval Academy as you're out? <laughs> That's so funny. It's a good question. And 
You know what? To be honest with you, they did not seek me out at first. I was getting recruited to uh, run track at a couple colleges and uh, MVP you might be familiar with, like Ohio University and uh, Akron University. I got an Ohio State offer. Um, And then I got offered at Georgetown, Georgetown being in D.C. So NCAA regulations is such that you can only do three at the time. I'm sure it might have changed three official visits where the college or institution will actually pay for your visit entirely. That's food, that's lodging, et cetera. Um, So basically, I I did a a three-day weekend at Georgetown. I shadowed one of the fellow 400 runners there, and we partied the whole weekend. And my dad, he picked me up on that Sunday, and I think he saw how tired and happy I was. And he was like, let's go check out that school on the water um, it's called the Naval Academy. I had never even heard of it, to be honest with you. <laughs> but, so that same day on Sunday, we tired as heck. Um, we drove up to Annapolis and I fell in love with the with the campus, to be honest with you. And um, my dad, he was definitely my hype man back then. Somehow we ended up at, at in the track coach's office. And he was like, I, I think you're missing a good one. You guys don't have her on your radar, but I think you should consider her. And my dad, he um, he facilitated my last official visit to be at the Naval Academy. And um, that's where I made my decision. I, I needed that discipline and that structure. I knew if I had went to, and Georgetown is not known to be a party school, but I knew if I had gone to like a regular college, then I might not be where I am today, to be honest with you. Yeah, there might not have been the discipline discipline side of things enacted uh, to keep maybe the focus or, or uh, the forward momentum going. Exactly. So, to speak. so the the Naval Academy. So my cousin, uh, he went there. He was a submariner, and then for a time, he was the navigational instructor for submariners there. And then he he got out for a little bit, and from what I understand, he is back in. He's back in Annapolis. Um, instructing now again i guess he, he went back active duty um after so he got out at uh i think 20 years and then now at 23 years you know so he was out for three years and went back in to instruct i guess they um i don't know if he was recruited back in or whatever else but um what i'm getting at is is so i applied to annapolis my senior year of uh of high school and they came to uh, Columbus and I went over there to meet with recruiters and things like that. And I had to do the test to get in, uh, not, not intelligent enough to, to make that grade, but, um, I always wonder what, what could have been if I'd had made that, made that grade. But I thought it was very interesting, um, and learning all that. And I also had to have a letter of recommendation, which my cousin who was in the Academy at the time, um, he had written a letter of recommendation and he had also gotten, I also had to get, I think the governor or at the time, I think I had to get a letter of recommendation from him. There was a couple of things I had to do and it's kind of foggy in memory now, but did, did you have to do those things or since you were, uh, since you were uh, an athlete, they, they recruited you and none of those things applied. I'm just out of curiosity. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. MVP. Um, so I had to get my congressman's, uh, nomination. I had to, uh, you kind of go through your own, a fitness assessment prior to. So I had all the same wickets and um, I was still pretty smart. I, I won't, I won't rely heavily on my athletic ability because um, I was still very active in leadership positions from in high school. And um, I, I knew that it would be a challenge, uh, but not too much of a challenge academically. Um, so yeah, I, I had to get the letter of recommendation. I had to get my, um, my counselor yeah your school counselor's recommendation as well like you had to get like a recommendation from a teacher or counselor and you had to accumulate all those and i had to do the same regular package submission as other prospective candidates it helps of course that you're being recruited and since there's something i'm not sure if you guys have heard of it the uh, naval academy prep school it's called naps yep i've heard of it yeah that's where you go if you are not academically um, uh, where you need to be or hit that standard 
And a lot of athletes go there, but I didn't have to go there, which is a blessing because that's an additional year I had to study. And I'm not I'm not one to be in the books all the time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I had a I had a similar uh, friend. We, this was in service already. So they had a bunch of officer programs available to us at the time. And when I at the time we applied, it was a little bit more loose. And mm. this was back when they also had boost. Uh, the school, the prep school boost. And so they said, you can either go for enlisted to commissioning, go uh, enlisted to college to commissioning, or you can go to this prep uh, program called boost where they'll teach where it's pretty much like naps. And then they send you off to go to college and whatnot. So everyone else, but me was smart enough to apply for boost. And I just tried to go, I tried to go full ham and say let's go for this program let's go for the naval academy let's go for this so i had to do every single process you just mentioned i had to do that four times for each individual program i had to go to had to go to four selection boards four recruiting boards all that stuff and it went all the way to the top i never heard back from them i think that was my sign that it was not meant to be but all the all the guys who were went through the boost program they didn't have to do any of that they just had to apply they they get weighed and measured as far as like their ability to pass or continue on in the program. And they all got it. And then two years and then a year or so after that, or however long the course was, they go to the Naval Academy, they go to whatever college they pick, they graduate. And then four years later, I'm standing at their commissioning ceremony. Like, why did I not think it was a good idea to go to boost? (laughs) Right. And it's so advantageous to have that enlisted experience. Um, my husband, he talks about it. I'm not sure if Six told you, but I'm married to a Marine captain. My husband yeah. talks about it all the time. Like, you know, the Naval Academy prestige is wonderful and everything, but if you're a prior enlisted, like the respect and the admiration you'll get from your Marines is far above. And I see the same thing in the Navy. Like, I think to myself, man, I wish I would have sometimes went enlisted, then went through Seaman Admiral is what they call it now. Boost right. is Seaman Admiral. And um, because there's there's something more deeply connected sometimes when you have that enlisted experience before you commission as an officer. So I get it completely. Right. Now, going flash forwarding to your story, you're at the Naval Academy and I'm sure they have such strict uh, requirements and schedules. Like everything is, is scheduled to a T. And they're very strict on you because you're in you're in the runs. You're being potential officer candidates at the time. Uh, what was that like? Ooh, what was that like? It was hell. <laughs> 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 oh man, you know, because I thought, and like I told you before, I was going into it thinking, oh, I'm more than prepared for this. Yeah, I had two military parents. Right, we were very structured. Growing up, that's why I knew I couldn't go to a regular college because I would wow out because mm-hmm. I not be around that structured environment anymore. But um, going to the academy, I ended, up, I ended up actually getting in trouble, to be honest with you. Um, so I got in trouble because I, instead of going out and doing my, um, we called it parades, when you would take your, your rifle and you would go out and do your parades. And I, I was out sailing trying to get my ASA sailing certification. And I was on my way back in and I'm still happy-go-lucky Arabia. So I'm waving and rooting my fellow midshipmen on as they came back from parades. But I didn't think about how they would be probably upset that Arabia is sailing while they were out at parades. So I ended up getting in trouble. And um, I they took away my Thanksgiving and I was on restriction. So I'd have to uh, wake up every morning at 5.30 with my rifle at a 90 degree angle and walk around in squares. And I made some of my best friends out of that restriction, but you know, it was a learning lesson that even despite all those years of that same structured and, you know, everything from you had to go to class, there was no missing class unless you had some type of justification. You had to go to track practice. And there was no other way not to go to track practice, right? Um, I was in gospel choir and there was a a lot of time for that. Um, I had swimming classes and I wasn't the 
the best swimmer. Um, MVP, there's no oceans and you're not swimming in the Ohio River in Ohio. So. I, mean, I mean, we had the, we had the wall Honding River, but uh, yeah, you're, you're not swimming too much in that. Right. So <laughs> I, what I thought, I thought I was a good swimmer. You know, my parents, they would, um, we would vacation in Virginia beach sometimes or uh, the outer banks. So- that was for us. Yeah. And me just treading water was not the same as swimming laps in a pool. So, um, you know, I was not prepared for that, to say the least. And uh, then you had an allotted study time. And then it was lights out because you had roommates lights out by at least 10 o'clock, 2200. So it was a structured environment all the way up until graduation. And even though me being a rebel wanted to try to at least get a sailing certification. I ended up getting in trouble because of that. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. So it's not like you were skipping parade altogether and just, and just screwing off, you know, having fun, whatever else you were actually doing still something productive, you know, (laughs) out in the water, sailing, progressing yourself, but not what you were, I'm air quoting here, supposed to be doing at that time. Not what was you were being told to do at that time. Exactly. Exactly. that. Um, and then you still have your, which I don't agree with, and I hope they end up changing. You have peer evaluations. So just imagine, you know, your peers evaluating you every step of the way. Oh, and if they're, and if they're, if they're haters at all, you know, that's, that's a rough go. <laughs> it was tough, but I was never at the bottom. But because, you know, I get this athlete stigma, um, you know, one of the biggest things I got was egocentric. And I was like, yeah, right. I'm the farthest from that. You know, coming from such a small town, you're very humble and you're just thankful to be outside of Ohio. But, you know, from the outside looking in, I could see how that that stereotype could be played or put on you. Right. Well, maybe maybe they look at it that way. Um Maybe how also like, you know, other kids looked at you in high school because I played a lot of sports in high school. And uh, a lot of the kids who didn't thought that the kids who did play sports got special treatment because you would get out of class early or something to have to leave and go to a game, whatever else, you know, if you had to travel out of town for a game. Um, So maybe, maybe that's how the same at the Naval Academy, some of those who didn't do athletics or these extracurriculars, they said, wow, they get special treatment because of these things that they do. But it's like, man, just because I'm doing more than you is no reason to, but people hate for whatever reason. It just is what it is. Absolutely. MVP. And, um, you know what's so funny, and I don't know if you want to dive into this, but um, I think there's also a, a race race aspect to this, too. You know, me being a black woman um, and being a good athlete. I wasn't subpar, to say the least. Um, there's not, not for, if not if you hold the 400 meter record, all time record. <laughs> right. <laughs> Lightning speed still to this day. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't subpar. And, you know, that takes confidence. and that could also be kind of threatening or intimidating to, um, you know, to certain uh, social groups. So I think there's yeah. an aspect of that too, but at least I never got lazy. I was never lazy. Um, I always had the willpower and I always tried to help wherever I could when I had the time to do it. Yeah. You couldn't be, you couldn't be lazy because there's a stigmatism that goes with, with that too. Right. So you, you have to prove yourself to everyone and basically say that, you know, I, I'm, I'm better because, because I am, you, you show, you show that you're better through actions. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Exactly that. There, there's this one uh, quote I remember Arabia and I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna send you the link to that clothing line. There had, there's this one shirt, this one veteran owned clothing line. And it says, no one cares, work harder, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and that, that kind of goes with what you're saying. Like, you know, people are going to hate, people are going to find a reason to look down on you. And then, the, but the only way to really overcome it is just to be, is just, is just to be better and work harder in every, every aspect, you know, and going on to what you were saying about your schedule. I, I'm a I'm, matter of fact, I'm really blown away on how to do that is because you got so many uh, physical taskers and then, and then you got to go to school. So you got all these requirements on the Navy side of the house. And then you got the actual collegiate requirements plus your sports. I mean, that, that's a lot of stuff to take in. And then, um, yeah, I mean, how many hours a, a day were you practicing for track? And then I, I, I assume you, you're also traveling for that sport as well. Right. Yeah, I was MVP. So I would, <laughs> and you know, it's kind of funny. So you would have, 
um, lift for about an hour at lunch. So from, a, from about 11 to 12. Um, and then you're, you're taking a quick shower and you're getting af- athletes lunch around 12 o'clock to one o'clock. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you also work out following after classes, classes, pretty much Finex was about, um, 15 or 1600 and you go straight to track practice. Track practice was about an hour and a half at the end of the day. So maybe three hours total every day, lunch, lunch lift, and then actual practice in the afternoon. Um, and then we travel every weekend or, or have a track practice. Yeah. Or track meet every weekend. Um, and the great thing, which was a, a hell of a motivator for me was, um, if you did well on at your track meet, you would be rewarded a weekend. And so you would be able to spend the night over at your sponsor's house or get to go out in DC at the clubs. So one of my main motivators was the fact that I would be able to leave campus and uh, spend the night in a regular bed um, for that weekend. So and, and that's how she got the all-time record for the 400 meter dash. Like, I'm going to get this two-day weekend I, I one way sleep. or another. <laughs> one way or another. I, I need sleep. She's I beating need. everybody for it. <laughs> Everyone's trying to go for the gold medal. One day's like, I just want to go to somewhere other than my dorm room. <laughs> so, so I'm sure the day you hit that record um, will be forever etched in your memory. Uh, can you explain that day a little bit and maybe a little bit of the training or explain a little bit of your practices, kind of what they consisted of, how you trained. And then the day that you hit that all time record. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, um, I can, I can say with full authenticity that I did not give it my all. There was a lot of, um, to that. And even though Naval Academy track division one, right. Um, Mm -hmm. I lifted, I did what I needed to do. But um, if you think about um, what's his name, uh, my husband talks about him all the time. It's a Navy SEAL and just pushes until David Goggins, David Goggins. If you think about David Goggins, how he would just go and get eat souls. My mentality was not eating souls. I was not eating no one's soul. I was just doing what I needed to do so that I was probably so concerned with getting enough sleep and recovery time that I didn't push into a hundred percent effort. Um, but I did, I did do what I need to do. So I would do the lifts, but I, I wouldn't do too much of the extra mile until it was probably a week before a major track meet. And, um, I would, uh, spend a little additional time on the track. But when I, when I got the record, um, it was a lot of motor, it was a lot of teamwork and a lot of support from my fellow 400 runners right? They saw something in me that I didn't see in my own self. Um, so they would actually keep me motivated to uh, stay on the track and do additional runs and additional laps and reps and sets because they knew uh, by, and if you're a track runner, or if you, you look at times, they just knew by the decrease in time that I was getting close to that that record mark. So um, they pushed me more than I pushed myself. And I, I will forever be grateful to them for seeing that in me. And were you in, in Annapolis or were you out of town uh, when you hit that record? I was, where were we at? Oh my goodness. That was um, actually Patriot League championships. And that was in um, Bucknell. Bucknell. Okay. Yeah. Track. Well, it was at the Bucknell track and it was Patriot League championships. So, so do you think, so you, you, you said you didn't give it your all. I mean, your, your all is not giving it your all is like uh, still 75% better than most people's trying their hardest. <laughs> 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 but but uh, I guess, so you're, you never went into it with the thought of I'll be an Olympian one day, but you could have, I mean, with your record and all that, I mean, um, do you think you could have gone Olympian status at, at some point or still could, I, you know, I'm sure you still run. Yeah, I still run MVP. And if you look at the body composition of all the Olympians, um, in terms of like 400 runners, Allison Felix, um, like I have that same body structure to this day. Um, so absolutely, I feel like if I had pushed myself or if I even thought that was possible, I didn't think it was a possibility. Do you think that's something you might attack uh, in the future? And then, you know, uh, something you might go for as a, 
another another goal, another mountain to uh, to yeah, to win? yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, of course you 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 think about, and this is what happens with most people: self doubt. Self self doubt starts to encroach on many people, and um, I, I guess more so, it would be foolish for me not to think that I could do it. But I think that my hobbies have shifted. My focus has shifted more on um, leading my sailors and Marines, of course, uh, and being the best leader I can be in the military, as well as being a professional actress. So there's only so much bandwidth. And um, as Six had already alluded to, like my deload day, I would have to allot some of that deload day to training again. Because uh, you can't just pick it up and start running, put some spikes on, and hit a fifty-three or a fifty-two. Um, it takes right. practice. <laughs> and you were you were mentioning, you know, like of all the stuff you were talking about, like leading people, uh, your current schedule as both a professional uh, actress and uh, me- mentor, all and everything else in between. So, like, your schedule is packed, jam-packed, and it's the same way with. Uh, any occupation that's very schedule heavy, like in our case with aviation, uh, Shoreline's case with the audio industry, you know, like a lot of that stuff will will drain you if you let it. And there was a saying uh, someone mentioned to me that uh, the industry or the the line of work will never get full. It'll keep taking and taking and taking until there's nothing left, and just move on to the next the next uh, go getter. You know, so. With that in mind, uh, what were some of the things that you have done personally to de-escalate or deload yourself so you're not running full throttle, full red line all the time, every time? Yeah. yeah what's your What's your mental health and and care routine? You know how do you how do you how do you take care of yourself to keep that? Because you can run yourself to the point of being ill, sick. You know what I mean? Run yourself run yourself ragged. So yeah, what, what's kind of your uh, self care routine? So I, I take us, I take and I, I teach a holistic approach to self care, um, and that starts with identifying the day that you're going to deload. Right, you have to identify the day. Okay, I'm working, I'm grinding, I'm eating souls throughout the week, but Sunday is going to be my meditation, no caffeine, and a sleep day, and. Um, of course, you know, sometimes you can't identify the day uh, in a planning or a forecasting method. But um, I, every Sunday, me and my husband, we, we journal and we figure out, OK, what's the priority for this week and how is this going to achieve our long term goals? Um, and, and, and honestly, uh, what runs concurrent with that is time management. Uh, six and MVP, I know you're aware of, you know, how someone else will lead our time in the military, right? It's, it's not all our time. Um, and me, when I was the aide, my time was never my own. It was just to serve the Admiral, uh, whether it be Sunday at 3 a.m., having to be back in the office on Monday at 6 a.m. or what have you. So having that time management and using the resources we have, I use Google Calendar and I, um, I share it with Jericho, my husband, so that he's aware of like, okay, Arabia's acting class, this day she has a meeting with the admiral on this day she has to do this 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 so he's aware so communicating with my family um on that deload day or prior to that deload day to let them know hey i'm taking this day don't don't interrupt me um right now we live in fallbrook right outside of camp pendleton and um we have a roommate here and i'll send him a a text like hey don't bother us on (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I mean, you have and, to, though, because people will. And it could be something really small, too. Like, for you know, uh, other than work, you also have friends who have their requirements, you know, like their or their expectations of things. Every every step of every moment of your life has its own pull and push. And you, you just got to be the one, as you said, uh, plan the day or take the day to like, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to manage my time. Because if I just if I try to be the genie and fulfill everything, then it's only going to set the stress fatigue on me. And then I'm the one missing steps, having problems. And then to the point of failure where it's unrecoverable for myself. 
Right. Exactly that. And with my D-Lo day, um, I at least try to uh, work out on that day, whether it be biking. I'm a big biker, um, not motorcycle. Like <laughs> you, mean, you mean you're not a hell's angel? But it's important that I, I get out on a bike and I take time to reflect on that deload day just to make, um, get recalibrated, you know, making sure I'm recalibrated and, and what's purposeful. And so that's what I do on my deload day. So no caffeine. Um, I sleep, I journal, and I meditate, find at least 30 minutes to work out. So, and I'm sure diet uh, and all that plays a big role into into the health and the deload. So on your deload day, do you still typically uh, adhere to a strict diet or do you let yourself venture out a little bit? Do you take any vitamins? Do you essential, I don't know, essential oils, whatever, whatever things, you know, people do to to help themselves relax and stay kind of balanced you know do do you do any of those things oh that's a good question and um you actually brought up something good yeah i actually have a diffuser with essential oils a lavender and it it helps my husband out too because he doesn't really uh always buy into a holistic approach of getting where i need to be but i think it helps him as well um i also take multivitamins and i'm venturing more towards uh I'm not sure if you guys heard of CMOS. Oh yeah. You know what? I've done some research on that. Dr. Seppi. Oh, yes. So have you taken any of that? Is that worked out well? Cause I'm, I've been doing a lot of reading on that. So MVP, I can tell you what, right? So I started taking CMOS weeks ago, one in the morning and one in the evening um, before I go to sleep. My skin has improved. Uh, anxiety has been lowered. I like, you know, I'm only 29 years old, so <laughs> I, I hate it, but I felt like a locking on my knees sometimes when, like, when I was doing running and what have you. That mm-hmm. had gone away, um, and I don't know. It, I doubt it's a placebo pill. You know what I mean? No, um, I don't think it is. From everything that I've done the research on, it seems like uh, something with CMOS that, that it helps just – it's a, like a whole body health. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Where do you order yours from? I mean, where, where, who do you go through? Um, Amazon. Um, oh, you get it on Amazon. Okay. And it's a good one. And I can, sh- I can share it with you too. Um, but that yeah, helps. Please do. Please do. And I've been straying away from, and this is hard for my husband because he's a steak guy, but um, I've been straying away from like beef and pork. A lot of that red meat I've been straying away from. Um, and that's just in terms of aging, because it ages your body a whole lot uh, quicker um, than typical. But, you know, during those cheat days, we mil- I might treat my husband with, so I'm not tied to being um, vegan in any way or uh, vegetarian. Right, but you're primarily plant-based. I, I, I kind of operate on, on a similar, similar platform. I, I, it's not that I don't eat it, but I'll eat way more of greens than I will of... Uh, Red meat or pork. And for the pork side of things, uh, my, my dad, uh, got gout a few years back. Um, and that was, it was, uh, kicked off by, uh, pork. He was eating a lot of pork. And what? so I've watched, I've watched the pain that he's gone through with that. And I'm like, yeah, mm. uh, I don't want that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, um, I, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, and that's an, another thing. That's why I bring that up to my brother's. And a lot of men actually like the increase in vegetables. I don't know what, why it's sometimes not a thing for men to like vegetables. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a, it's a macho side of things, right? It, it attributes back to a, a caveman esque uh, uh-huh. hunter, hunter provider type, you know, I go, cause I, you know, growing up in Ohio, I grew up hunting. I uh, hunted every year of my life. I hunted whitetail turkeys you know, dove season, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, it's just part of, part of life, especially from the area you and I grew up in. Yeah. Are you a Bass Pro Shop guy or are you a Cabela's? Oh, you're a Cabela's, of course, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I, I love doing that. I love going to those stores. <laughs> well, well, given that there's no Cabela's out here, like Bass Pro Shop it is, check mark. <laughs> well, that's true too, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
So, uh, uh, Reba, I mean, you mentioned a lot of these uh, amazing things, and that's for self-care. Now, transition over to your leadership side of the house for managers and for people who are listening out there who are managers. How would you know or how would you see that you guys have been hitting the grindstone a little too hard and it's time for you guys to take uh, an operational pause or a safety break because of it, because of that reason? That's a good question. Yeah question so um i think it's important for us to have a bead on our uh, our subordinates right so you can tell when performance has decreased right you can tell when engagement is not as high as it used to be you can you can tell when um you're starting to hear a whole lot more complaints than usual um for me uh what's a major indicator is when someone gets in trouble right if right, there's yes. off that you didn't see coming then it, it's time to take that tra- training time out to get a reassessment on how everyone's feeling. And as a leader, it's important for us to be a bit more emotional, emotionally intelligent to, uh, to really beat in on the emotions of our, um, I keep saying sailors and Marines, but of our subordinates um, and our colleagues too. It's our job to make sure our peers are doing okay and how they affect one another like if me and my hubby are having an issue i can't bring that as you know you can't bring that to work you can't bring that to the right. oh man we can tell you so many examples of that so many examples uh but you're absolutely right and you, another this is like orange stress level when you start seeing uh missteps like you just start seeing a trend of mistakes or missteps sometimes it starts small like oh, okay he forgot to dot the t across the or dot the i's across the t's and then it's and then it's you let it get away once because okay not nothing major and then it slowly starts to trickle into something worse like okay we forgot to gas the plane for this event or we forgot to pick up this part for this this reason etc 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 and this keeps on spiraling and spiraling and spiraling and uh, in some um, managerial positions or some people who have not really any major managerial uh, experience will just say. But just do the the finger wag of death and say work hard or do better and start you know posting blame and pointing fingers and say you need to tighten it up and do better and it just runs the red line even longer and faster. Okay, you start getting some thermal runaway. Um, for me, I notice that when one of one of my top performers starts making small mistakes. Oh, good point. Could be as small as took a tool home in their pocket. You know that that person never does that. What, what, what's been going on? And you start looking back over the past week, two weeks and saying, boy, this guy's been, or, you know, girl, who this person's been putting in time and I haven't been picking up onto it until, until something small like that happens. You're like this, that, that person never makes that mistake. Well, why do they do that? And then that's when you got to say, all right, maybe we got to pump the brakes just a little bit. Right. Exactly. And I'll add on one to that. Right. Uh, because that's a good segue into having those uncomfortable conversations. Yes. You know, we're, we're risk adverse. You know, we typically try to go through the past of least resistance. So uh, knowing and identifying that maybe your top performer has slipped a bit, having the courage to bring them in for a closed door session, like, hey, dude, what's going on? Or, hey, gal, what's going on? Right. Uh, you know, that's very important to have those into um, you know personal type conversations um because i'm a people's based leader i'm not really principles based because sometimes with it with within that black and white you can lose that human factor which is so important because they're they're our greatest asset sure you start treating people like robots rather than uh, than a person say in you know in a managerial group setting you're an individual within some level of the chain probably not too high not too important but then you start seeing all this all the stress cracks in the system or in the in the operation and you don't say anything because everyone else sees it but no one has said anything either so you just kind of you you see you see this a lot where people tend to like keep the lid on what they see is wrong or what they perceive is the problem because of certain uh, managers or supervisors or leaders who would just talk down and squat, try to squash it to, in order to make certain numbers or certain reports look good. Yeah. And so they just kind of sit there like, yeah, well, I see it, but whatever, you know, 
they're just going to tell us like it's not a big deal or they're just going to give us another PowerPoint class and move on with life that will not actually change things. Right. Right. And from, and from my own personal experience, you were talking about having those uncomfortable conversations, pulling somebody into the office and saying, uh, what's going on? Um, more often than not that I've, I've experienced is those, those people appreciate you pulling them to the side. Like initially they're a little standoffish, you know, cause they're like, oh man, they're going to yell at me for something. But then they, they realize that like, oh no, they're not, they're not yelling at me right now. They're genuinely concerned for my, my well being, and they don't want me to get hurt or anybody else out in the line to get hurt. So, so they, they see that there's, uh, their problems and they're trying to address it and they're asking me what's going on. And I've even done some things like where I have my, uh, my lead yeah. and they'll be out there and they're running, you know, they're running a hundred miles an hour and then I'll pull them in. Cause I see them getting overstressed over work. I'm like, Hey, uh, I need you to sit down at the computer and, uh, punch in these numbers, do some, do some book work real quick, you know, some, some computer work. I'm like, Oh no, I got to do this and that. No, no, I'll step out there real quick. I'll, I'll help them. All we're doing is some simple moving, moving some aircraft around. That's right. easy enough. I, say, I just need you to do this. And that might only take them 30 minutes, but that's 30 minutes of them sitting in a room by themselves. They're still working and, 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 and doing uh, their job, so to speak. But it's just, it's just a chance for them to slow down just for 30 minutes, you know? And I, I think that's very important too, knowing how to recognize how to still get positive, positive progress while, you know, while also kind of decompressing at the same time. Exactly. And, um, that's a very good point. And whether you know it or not, you're giving them a chance to breathe, take it in and um, declutch per se uh, from the, the normal routine. Um, and that's something I have to do um, is take a moment and breathe. I um, do a, a routine right before I speak or before I have to breathe um, where I take a moment and I breathe in uh, for three seconds, breathe out. And everything gets silenced and it, it, it enables me to uh, to rehone on what's important. And it enables me to uh, really see, and I'm a spiritual person, what, what God wants me to do and not Arabia, the body, but like the spirit, what I'm supposed to do. So you, you give that opportunity for that, that employee or subordinate to breathe. Uh, and I, I appreciate that more than anything. And they, and they do too, maybe not right away, but maybe a day or two later, they, they might not even come back and say, thank you, but just in their actions alone and the way they perform, like there's a respect there now that they have for you that that might not have been there before or that they was there before, but was slowly declining because they were declining, right. And their mental health or whatever else and their stress level increase. And then you renewed that kind of faith. Uh, their faith in you, so to speak, as, as, as their leadership. Right. And um, that increases your credibility as a leader, to be honest, that's that employee, that subordinate is going to tell someone else, Hey, he really looked out for me here, or she really looked out for me here when things were getting tough. And it's a snowball effect that increases your approachability um, where people are more likely to come to you instead of you having to reach out to them, they're more likely to come to you like, Hey, I'm having an issue boss. I need a day off. This is what's happening right now with my wife or kids. Right. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause everybody's got outside of uh, work, school, athletics, whatever the case, everybody still has their own personal lives. And, and you know, you, you don't know what's really going on in that life. And I heard a saying, um, a few months back in Yosemite, uh, one of the guides out there was talking to says, no matter how flat you make a pancake, there's always two sides. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there, you got the side that they're showing you that you see daily, but there's the other side their personal life. And that while it looks like they might have it together at work outside of that, it's, it's crumbling. You know what they're, I mean? They're all, it's all burned on the, on the, on the pan side. <laughs> right. And then eventually, you know, you burn that pancake so much that it starts it starts burning onto the good side and that's when you get the bleed over and, and uh, just, you know, nothing but bad happens after that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do have a question for you, gents. Um, what do you do on your deload day that may be different from what I do for me, for me, because my days start at 4am and end at midnight. Um, and so, and because of that, because of the homeschooling thing going on right now, because of the whole COVID deal, <laughs> So my, I've had to extend my days a little bit more 
Um, so the wife and I, we were part uh, owners in a uh, poke restaurant. So, so we get up at four and we go to the, and we're at the gym um, five to six. And after that, we go to the restaurant for a few, a couple hours, uh, put orders in, maybe count the money from the night before, get things set up before the, before our workers come in. Um, and then we'll come back to the house and we're logging in on the computers, getting the kids up fed, logging in, sitting there with them, helping them with the schooling. Cause it's what a travesty that whole online schooling situation is. Right. Um, so then we do that and I'll do that for, uh, I'll be there with them for about four, four and a half hours. Um, wife goes to work. She goes, you know, she'll, she'll be there for maybe an hour or two at the house and then she's back at work. And then I'm there uh, with them until it's time for me to go to work. Mm. And then at that point, either my wife will come back to the house or maybe my mother-in-law will come to the house and be with them the, the rest of the afternoon. And then I spend work until 1030. And then by the time I get home, it's um, usually trying to be falling asleep by, by midnight. So my deload days consist of usually just doing stuff with the kids. I usually just, the house might be dirty. Um, you know, laundry might need done, whatever the case is, but I, I try to take them out. We go to the park. Uh, we go to like, there's a little river up here. Well, we had one before the fires, who knows what's left of it over there now, a little Creek, but things like that. I try to spend as much time with them as possible because we really don't get too much time during the week. Um, I've really gotten into stretching as I'm getting older, mm-hmm. uh, but mobility is becoming a, uh, more and more of an issue every time I try to get out of bed. <laughs> so I, I just, I'll foam roll myself out and I I've gotten really into that. And that's kind of my days. I'm trying to get more into the, uh, I take a multivitamin, but uh, I've been doing more research to see what else is out there. And that's how I've come across the CMOS mm. and done some reading on it. And there was some, uh, there was a podcast out there. Maybe it was Joe Rogan's and he had, Dr. Seppi's grandchildren on there and they were talking about uh, the whole CMOS thing. So I've listened to that kind of stuff, but yeah, just trying to, trying to use those time to, to clear the mind and kind of get the body right before, before starting the week again, you know? Yeah. I totally feel MVP on the whole struggling to get out of bed. I sound like uh, Optimus Prime, the transformer, you know, like when I get in out of bed, just like, Clink, 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 clink. All the joints just <laughs> cracking and popping, you know. Uh, my, I, I, my, my, uh, Dilo days in, in a way that similar to MVPs. Uh, so I do mostly. I, I believe in front loading, where I take all the work I need to do and I try to smash it in the first three or four days of the week. That way, it gives me time to kind of stretch out the last bit of of the week, so I'm not rushing to try to like full throttle to the very end. So I try to do most of the work in the beginning and I can slowly start to downshift and coast it to um, my designated days off or my, uh, my rest days. I would say it, it is good to have a dog too. Like oh. dogs. I don't know what it is. There's something therapeutic about having dogs, like just their, their facial expressions and their demeanor. And then also it gives you a reason to have to go outside and give them exercise, <laughs> you know? And and like you said, like I try to, I try to do a lot of stuff with my kids, mostly like movie nights and whatnot, just because uh, their their energy far exceeds mine, and they're about, uh, they're 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 like full throttle every every second of every day, and I'm I don't got the gas tank for that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I can believe it. Okay, thank you, Shoreline. What do you do? So, uh, being an audio engineer, I've had uh, quite a bit of time off recently. Um, and so my mental health during the time that I was actually working, uh, was not a priority. Uh, and I, I wish I would have made it, uh, one lately I've been making it more of a priority and it's, and it's crazy. Personally, I, I've been taking my, I've been taking vitamins, eating on a more regular schedule, um, doing, doing the small things. Um, mm-hmm. and that, that really like getting a good baseline for me is, is key. I want to get back into fitness and, and being more active. Um, kind of like what you were saying, uh, six with, uh, getting a dog. I want to get a dog. All right. That way it gives you an excuse to go outside, be more active, do those things. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, if anything positive has come out of quarantine and, and this COVID situation, it's, uh, allowed me the first time in years that I've actually been able to, just kind of decompress and not work, you know, 120 hours a week or something crazy. So that's powerful. 
Thank you. And, and to add to all this, um, this podcast has actually helped uh, decompress because we do this generally, you know, every week, once or once or twice, every, every, usually a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning or whatever else. But uh, people, humans really underestimate the value of communication and talking with six shoreline and inspirational people such as yourself, uh, Arabia, um, it, it just helps clear the mind a little bit. You might even be talking about some of the bad stuff that happened over the previous week, but just talking about it and getting it out there. And then you find yourself ultimately just laughing about it. Cause like, Oh, that was at the time it was so stressful. You look back and God, gosh, that was just so ridiculous. You know what I mean? And, and so it helps, it helps talking to other other adults who, who understand um, life and its uh, stresses and intricacies. Yeah, spot on, spot on. You're part of our therapy too, Arabia. You're part of our deload, especially today <laughs> because of such a, a stressful time we've been in, especially now how things are going uh, this year. Um, every, everybody listening, you know, as Arabia and MVP and all of us have been saying, like, you just if you run the red line and go full throttle all the time, every time there's you're there's not going to be a, a red light to tell you to stop. You're, you're running, you're driving on the freeway and there's no exit. So you got to take that. You got to create that time for yourself. Um, there was a saying that uh, there is no time unless you make time. So if you don't actually put that into your schedule, it's never going to happen. And you're just going to run, run it till the wheels fall off. Well, that's true. My mother always used to tell me, you got to take care of you. You got to take care of number one because nobody else is going to do it for you. Bingo. That's exactly it. You know, so all of you out there, all you, all you people grinding it out there, take some time to yourself. Like ha- have, have a treat me day that at, at the very least have a treat me day. Or if you can't even yeah. do a day, do, do an hour, 30 minutes, treat something, yourself. do something. <laughs> you need it. You definitely need it. Yes, sir. All right, closing thoughts, Arabia. And and with that deload, I I do want everyone to know that having pressure is a privilege. Not everyone is is pressured to do something or want to excel or picking up that extra side hustle to to help reach financial independence faster. Um, so being able to balance, you know, taking that time off, but also realizing that this is a privilege to be alive and well and having the opportunity to lead and, uh, and grind right now. Well said. Yeah. Don't be afraid to put my closing thoughts. Don't be afraid to put in the work, but also know when to, to slow it down a little bit and just know that if you ever feel like uh, you're at wit's end, there's people out there like ourselves or Arabia follow their social medias or, or just read some of their, their, their quotes, whatever sayings, and or just reach out and try to talk. I mean, the people are there to help, so you don't have to go it alone. Speaking of which, Arabia, uh, uh, what social handles can our listeners or anyone out there can use to follow you? Oh, oh at Arabia Essence on Instagram. I'm currently building out my website. My agent is so upset that I haven't done so yet. So, <laughs> at Arabia Essence. That's where you'll find me. And you feel, please feel free to reach out if you need anything at all. Um, I'm always here to help anyone. Absolutely. And we appreciate that. And we thank you for that. Oh, also, she's, she's that IM, IMDB uh, famous. So you, if she's made it when she hit IMDB. <laughs> <laughs> we, we especially like to thank our Patreons today uh, for allowing us to create this episode and all our content. Stephanie Boatman, Erica Lamont, Mike Diltz, Thomas Conley, Laura Manns, Ryan Freshhour, and Jenny Dignan. You guys have been so awesome and supportive of us, and we appreciate you. And for all of you out there listening, you can uh, catch us on cancelformaintenance.com, Facebook at same name, Instagram at Kank, C-A-N-X, for Maintenance Podcast. If you have some ideas that you'd like to share with us, stories you'd like to share with us, or you'd like to be a guest on the show, same way, hit us up on cancelformaintenance.com on that contact us section. Shoot us a line there. We do everything we can to get your ideas and or get you on the show. Please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash cancelformaintenance. Your support will allow us to 
continue making content for you guys. Keep Shoreline happy to keep on helping us with the podcast. Helps us get better gear and keeps the gremlins from sabotaging said gear. And speaking of gear, you can check out our merch as well at cancelformaintenance.com. Appreciate all your help and support, everybody. Miss Arabia, thank you for being on the show with us and sharing us. Yeah, thank you so, so much. It's been a pleasure. Likewise, gents. All right, everybody. Have a great day. Get after it.